0: Altezza! What a strike! What a screamer!
1: He's on there, and a fantastic goal! Arsenal back in it. lines it up, finds the net. Arsenal in front. Here comes a corner from William. in swinger, cleared by Mustafi. And here we go, Martinelli's away. There's a slip, it's just what we needed. He's in, he's got Pepe for company, give it to him. He scores, he doesn't need the help, it's all the way to the end. And there at the shed end, it's Martinelli with the equalizer, one, one. He had Pepe for company, he could have slid it across, but look at the confidence of the golden god, Messi, Ronaldo, hybrid, Gabriel Martinelli. I said earlier, captain, leader, legend, we needed a slip in honor of John Terry, and we got that slip, and we got that goal. Holy shit, you didn't see it coming, and I gotta tell you, if a challenge has been laid down, let's well, let's watch it again. Hang on. It's headed out by Mustafi. Martinelli's quick onto it. He's fast. His first touch isn't great. Conte slips. He's gone. And there goes Martinelli. He's got company, it's Emerson, he can't get there, and the finish is so, so, so confident. I mean, Kepa's never saving anything. Look at Conte go down. Conte goes down like a tree struck by lightning, and Martinelli's side puts it into the corner. The 18-year-old, faster than Emerson, faster than Kovacic, better than Kepa. It's a goal for Arsenal. It's 1-1 at Stamford Bridge unbelievable scenes and as I was going to say the gauntlet has been thrown down to Mustafi can you lose it for us again can you find the resolve can you find the strength to lose it for us again let's find out here we go 63 minutes it's a goal from Gabriel Martinelli his 10th of the season his 10th of the the season. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That was my goal call for Martinelli's Equalizer, uh, doing the live commentary on Hot Mike. I obviously went a bit mental. Uh, we put some highlights from that live commentary out on Twitter, actually. Um, so if you want to go to the podcast Twitter account, Arsenal ArsenalVPod, uh, you, you'll be able to find the link to that on SoundCloud, or you can just look up our SoundCloud Arsenal Vision podcast. But yeah, uh, what an interesting game. There, there were obviously super low lows, super high highs. One of those games that makes you remember why you love football because it can take you to some really crazy places emotionally, uh, as can Sjodran Mustafi, as can Gabriel Martinelli, as can Captain Fantastic Hector Bellerin. A captain's return with a late equalizer down to 10 men at Stamford Bridge and then saying after the match, I love scoring against that lot. Uh, Hector, we just love you to death so uh we're gonna have a nice conversation about this game and uh all the emotional baggage that goes along with it with paul you can find my twitter at pause to my pants hello pause woohoo clive's on twitter at clive p a f c. hello clive hello hello quick reminder that if you would be so kind as to sign up for patreon we'll have a rewatch of this game uh with clive we'll have the transfer pod we'll have the analytics pod all coming this week for patrons so uh, you know, if you want to do that, we would love it if you did. And of course you can still do the athletic with our promo code arsenal vision podcast or pardon me. Uh, what is it? Arsenal vision. That's it. If you want to, uh, but if you don't, no big deal, let's get on with it. Paul, um, you could make an argument that the best period in this game for Chelsea was 11 v 11 because after it went to 10 men, sure. We were under the cash at times. Sure. There were close moments. Sure. We conceded, um, a late, what looked like a late winner to Chelsea, but by and large, I actually thought down to 10 men, we put forward a pretty heroic effort. But at 11v11, 11 11, you got to say the game started pretty poorly. A lot of periods of broken play, a lot of corner kicks for Chelsea, maybe not a lot of consistent buildup and possession, but we were pushed back into a low block quite a bit. And the pattern of play reminded me a little bit of what happened after they changed to the back four and the midfield three in the home game. So as far as the way we started, would you say that arguably until Mustafi uh, intelligently gets us down to 10 men so we could come back, we were having the the worst period of the game?
2: Yeah,
3: um, funny old business, the old playing with 10 men because it forces you to be compact and keep things simple and for everybody to know what everybody else is doing. Um, but I think you're right. I think Chelsea had their uh, best period of the game early on, uh, particularly from uh, CHO over on Saka's wing. He was really giving them conniptions for about 10 or 15 minutes. Then Martinelli started filling in with him and covering that area. I think we remember a couple of headers Martinelli pulled off in that corner that went out for a touch or a throw in, just giving us some some extra cover and depth there. Uh, more string to Martinelli's bow, bow in terms of what he does uh, going both ways, so I think we were beginning to mostly kind of hold our own a little bit. Maybe that's a, an over generous statement, but yeah, they certainly had the upper hand. I counted four or five times they hit that corner over on Saka's side with CHO or somebody or as Aspicata uh, getting in there, and yeah, we were we were definitely feeling it. And uh, as you were uh, enlivened about uh, a game or two ago. Arteta was um, fairly violently waving his hands to the team to get up the pitch to stop falling back so low. Easier said than done, as I said in reply to that. But it's that dynamic of the team needs to force its way up the pitch. On the other hand, they need to be actually be able to play uh, in a way that gets them up the pitch and keeps them up the pitch. And he's basically urging them to get up and stop sitting so deep because corner after corner was starting to come in. They had a lot of big guys and we were feeling the pressure and we did get a couple of promising counter attacks up the other end and and begin to play a little football but um this was a game of two games and everything changes changes utterly a terrible beauty is born at about 24 25 minutes
1: yeah and you know it's funny right because so many of the things from the early pattern of play wound up not being the case as the game went on i thought Sacco was kind of poor and i thought martinelli was I mean, if I have to say it, I hate to say it, it was bad. Like, he was bad early. I, I think that the best opportunity in the game came early on a counterattack, a really promising counterattack that Martinelli just didn't execute properly. And then he had a couple nearly counterattacks where he, he couldn't get the ball under control. And ironically for his goal, which we will definitely spend some time on later, um, he, he miscontrols it in the touch that winds up leading to Conte, uh, mimicking the, Boo. the, the, yeah, the Boo. captain. John Terry. Um, but so, I mean, it is, but but it's just the point that like so many things turned after that period because Saka winds up having some of the best statistics defensively in the game and obviously you can rack up a lot of counting stats defensively when you're down to 10 men and under the cosh quite a bit but I thought he, he was huge as the game wore on. Obviously Martinelli had some of the best defensive statistics in the game too just working really hard off the ball and then scoring the goal that I think changes the whole complexion and emotion of the game. Um, so, that is definitely a part of it. I, I, I got to say, Clive, that the the player who starts to come into focus for me more and more under the Arteta system is a player who looked enlivened early when Arteta arrived, but for me, maybe just maybe is showing that there's a reason why he hasn't consistently been in the team over the past few seasons, and maybe it's age-related, maybe it's characteristic-related. I I don't want to put it down to effort necessarily, but Mesut Ozil, I got to say I thought us again a weak link and maybe a weak link throughout in the sense that you know he he just isn't providing us the availability and the energy and and if he's not doing that I, you know I'm not totally sure what to make of mine. I don't want to kill anybody because I thought there was a lot of good spirited team um uh, performances in this game but if I had to highlight someone other than Mustafi, who will come on to momentarily, I think Ozil is is a question mark now, and I think that role is one that maybe Arteta could consider trying different options with. I mean, do you do you get the sense that maybe that could be coming, and that this was an, another another performance from Ozil that leaves you scratching your head a bit?
2: Yeah, I, as the last performance did as well, and I don't like to put people in my eye line in a, in a negative way, but I, I strongly, I say, I really believe that I I look forward to the day in the nicest possible way when we're not discussing Mr. Ozil any longer. Mm. Because it's just, for me, it's a cultural thing. I think you've heard me say before, if you want to move cultures on, you got to give everyone a fair chance. I totally agree. But if you need to move cultures forward, you need to remove the key cogs of the previous culture that have above and beyond influence on the old culture. So if you were to walk into Arsenal today and and pick one player, you either need to get on board or you need to move past. And it's one or the other. There's nothing in between. It's massively on board. You have to lead. You have to lead on your statistics and assists, on shots, on goals. You have to literally lead or you can't be here because the team needs to move forward. And that decision wasn't really a decision a few weeks ago because we couldn't really see an alternative. But suddenly, we got this new kid on the block that's really keeping us all awake at night. And suddenly we have an alternative and the human brain knows we play with a with a four, with a, a front four-ish, with a left back pushing up to make a five. But we all know there's a mathematical sums to be had and we start to, our gaze starts to go towards the weakest link. And at the moment, you look at it and you see, okay, Lacazette's not in top form, but he's working his backside off. You've got Bam Yang, who's an untouchable. You've got Pepe just due to his potential, due to what he can offer. due directness, to His directness threat. Yeah. Directness, the fact he's got a similar left foot to Ozil. What, what we think he's going to be. And, and, our, and our recent investment and the fact he's probably got a, a five-year to six-year contract in his bin, that he's not coming out. And so your eyes naturally go towards one player that 31, 80 million a year, six shots so far this season, no goals, nice player. We all When he plays well, we play well. We all know the drill. But there comes a point when... And this is not in a nasty way, but just to move a team forward, you do have to take decisions to move the team forward. But how that's done, you no, know, we spoke the other day earlier about process, how that's done is really important. I don't think it can be done in the clumsy way that Emery and, the, and potentially Raoul were trying to do it pre-Christmas. Pre- you can't do that because, you know, people... The man's got fans, right? But I do think there needs to be a collective realisation that we need to move forward a little bit,
1: a yeah. little bit with Ozil. And, I mean, look, I want to be clear about something. When Ozil is bad, that he he wasn't bad. I, I think there is this tendency sometimes... That's the problem, though, isn't it, Elliot? Well, he, it is. Not bad he's not enough. bad enough. He, so, he's
3: riding he, no, that he's not, middle zone it, of busy and active, but, Well, so let me make a, is it a, enough?
1: a point about not bad enough. The guy completed all 30 of the 30 passes he attempted, right? So it was 100%. He yeah. didn't give the ball away. In a game where giving the ball away is suicide, especially when you're down to 10 men. Before the red card, he was 12 of 12 on passes. But, you know, nothing in the final third. I, I think, for me, I said this on the commentary at one point, he has developed an ability to be near the play but not in the play when he's off the ball. And he sometimes will do this thing where he... He gets kind of close enough to the ball that he's he's kind of showing like he's in like he's there, but he's not cutting off an angle. He's not stopping a pass. I mean, he had two tackles, yeah. no no interceptions, no block passes, no um, you know, aerial duels, no fouls committed, no fouls suffered, no take ons. Like I just think it's not me saying Messerosa was garbage, get him off the pitch. It's me saying I don't know that there is enough in his game at the moment to to necessarily overcome some of the things that naturally aren't in his game.
2: So Elliot, do you think this is, not not statistical, do you just think this is an eye test? Do you just think how we're approaching the game now with a new standard of work ethic, do you just think your eyes are telling you that somebody just not quite at the same beat as the rest?
1: I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because I don't always trust my eyes on that because I think that like, when he came off, um, we did struggle to hold onto the ball. I mean, he... he the one thing he is is he's a safe pair of feet, right? He puts his foot on the ball, and when he passes it, he tends to pass it accurately. I, I think it is a question of, do you want more off the ball energy and work and running at the expense of his on the ball work? And I, I'm and he's been very good at go ahead,
3: pressing upfield, right? Mm. I mean, he just makes it difficult because while I kind of agree with, with where you're going with this and what what um, Clive has said, um. He, he he's just he's right there in that I don't know that grey zone. He does a lot of good stuff. He hasn't produced any end product this year, but he has been a key part of our last two goals, for example, before this game. Um, he's he's still a significant player in how we build play. Um, when you go back and look at this game in in our good good passages of play with possession he's doing significant things with the ball or being in the right positions and giving options yeah. he just makes it hard cuz uh, i agree with everything clive said and i do think we need to move past masadozal but uh, how you navigate that is not easy for all the reasons we talk about it, and he gives you a lot that nobody else in the team at the moment can step up and provide
1: somebody. Give the dog a treat. It's driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> l- l- let me say this: I, you know, I, this is why I think it is tough as fans sometimes, and why stats can be important, and why it is important to check your biases and check your analysis a lot. Because the conversation around Ozil versus Lacazette is, in some ways, very different, and yet, in some ways, they are—they are sort of the inverse of one another. That Mesut Ozil is. Still doing some mesodosal things but is he giving us the work off the ball is he giving us the energy is he is he giving us enough other things where's Lacazette can't find a shot to save his life. Can't find a goal to save his life. You know, doesn't have the end product you need from a number nine. But I thought this was a heroic performance from Lacazette. And the only reason yeah. I can say that is I can't point to any statistic other than the guy was just everywhere, running his brains out, trying to drop in, be an option, trying to receive the ball, show for the ball. You know, hold people up, win fouls, and and I don't know. Sometimes with these analysis, whether we are are reading body language, whether we're reading effort and energy. Or or whether it is it is a reality.
2: Yeah, go ahead. We're, we're, we're being fans, right? So players leap out at the screen at you, and you – we're, we're going to get on to the 18-year-old later, right? <laughs>
1: we're going to do a lot of fun stuff yeah. now, yeah. <laughs> but but if, you
2: were, if you were to look – I'm sure you've got numbers in your head. And I'm not saying he's like – we're not talking a 50-pass guy here, are we? Do you know what I mean? So, mm. so it's like – but why is it that I didn't sleep last night? Why is it? Because somebody has applied himself in the moment, under pressure, delivered away at Chelsea, when it counted, when we were at 10 men. There's so many things that allow you to arrive at an opinion. You know, there's so many things. I and mean, it isn't just the numbers. It's the moment. It's the feeling, how they transmit. And it's not about roll your sleeves up. It's about doing something at the right time when it really counts. Not in training, but when it really counts on the pitch. And when we see that or someone intending to do that, we come away and say, he played well. But what he really, what we're really saying is, we felt he played well and he applied himself to his maximum. And on occasion... Whether we want to admit it or not, I can't say Mesut Ozil played badly because nobody really did. But did he play well?
1: And and you know what? And and to be fair, Clive, I mean, in a game where you're going to be defending in a low block for long stretches. There are players who are better at that than others. And so I don't think it is yeah. controversial yeah. to say, hey, Mesut Ozil is not necessarily going to be great for dropping into a low block and defending for 90 minutes. And one of the players we'll be talking about who had to do that is Granit Xhaka, who, on the flip side of it, a player who's coming for a lot of criticism and was absolutely heroic on the night and deserves all the praise he gets for it. So let's talk incidents, though. And obviously, we will all get a shot at this. But, Paul, look, I don't... It's not fun beating up players. It's not fun. But if you can't laugh, what can you do? Shodran Mustafi, you know, you want to draw a line between players. Granite Shaq is a player who's limited, and his limitations, I think, hold us back. And ultimately, I think we should move on from him. Shodran Mustafi is just a complete train wreck. He's a rolling dumpster fire. And I, 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 it's, you know, I don't know how else to handle it other than talking like this because it helps me stay sane. Now, let's not pretend that the first thing he did wrong in this game was give it back to Chelsea to uh, round Leno and get Luis Sen off and win the penalty. He had played no less than four awful, nervy passes right to Chelsea players from deep in our half before this happened. So, do you think that it is a case? I hate to go full mentality, but Mustafi's a professional footballer. He can pass it to a guy in a red shirt. He couldn't do that to start this game. Do you think he was just too nervous, too worried about making the critical mistake, and ultimately... Became a self fulfilling prophecy?
3: Uh yeah, I thought the same way. I, I really thought he was having a bit of a mirror uh playing out from the back, and just kind of when we were starting to get going, those passes that go astray, you know, the, when you're getting as little possession as we were and as little position up the field as we were, it was kind of dropping us in it. So um it was it was kind of a big deal, those passes were going astray. And maybe it was just in the mail that that thing was that that back pass, which I feel he's done before as well. The leaving it short um, was on its way. And you got to feel bad for the guy on a human level. But as a a footballer, um, it just it just uh, he's under no uh, pressure
1: when he does it, by the way, it is just a total, true, calamitous brain fart. Um, Total
3: screw up. And you well, know, I, I tell you, I'm going to pivot quickly to the to Arteta speech um, that we didn't hear, but he intimated about. Just because this podcast may go by and we never talk about it, but it relates directly to that. He talked, you know, it's kind of a trope, a cliche. But when you know when Arteta says it, it's like an Invictus speech, um, and it's just he talks about how the players. He he went. He, he told them in the dressing room. We can all make a mistake. I think there's a Mustafi clause on that. But anyway, we can all make a mistake. But it's all about you guys stepping up and bailing that guy out. He doesn't use that those words, but that's basically the, his speech. And you think, Jesus, yeah, that's how you get the collective to respond. And, uh, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck go up when you hear Arteta say a couple of simple expressions. And you understand how he got these guys um, to give... A level of effort we haven't seen for years. I mean, we got lucky. We got uh, we got back in the game with a couple of uh, freakish but great goals. Um, but I, but usually these situations, even with that, we'd let it, let it slip away. We'd go to three two, or we'd never get that second goal, or we'd fade. We it'd be heroic, but we'd fade with ten minutes to go. I mean, we this is the second game in a row we've gone to ninety something minutes. This time with ten men. And just bled, suffered, as Arteta talked about, and left it all out there. So um, it, it, there's only so much you can say about Mustafa. We, we've been here before with him. I, I, here's what I... Is he usable? My...
1: I mean, is he a usable no. player? Because... Can, no, can I make the point, I, 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 by the way? But before... Hang on, that. hang on. Just because the only point I want to make is, in the Sheffield game, you know, it's easy to forget because <sighs> it came to nothing. He tried to lose it for us at the end with a giveaway. You know, he lost yeah. us the Palace game. He, he lost us the, the other Chelsea game. I, I mean, and then we... he and then he's
3: great in the second half of this, and the uh, and that's the trap, right? It's actually his excellent header that springs Martinelli yep. past their Absolutely. their next line. But that's the trap. Um, thing is, I know how uh, Mustafi will end. Not at Arsenal, but in life, he'll have a happy life surrounded by his family, and then when he's seventy-three, he'll go to Thailand, and attempt auto-erotic asphyxiation in a closet. Just for kicks, when everything was going so well, it's just it's just Mustafi,
1: and, and it'll this go is, wrong. and, how and that's how end. it will end. Yeah, well, uh, so, Clive, it sounds so. like you want to push back. I I don't know what pushback is left, but I'd be curious to hear it.
2: No, it's, it's just football, right? In football is made of hundreds of decisions, and he, he 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 he's just making the wrong ones, and it comes down to almost like I think you used self fulfilling prophecy earlier. Yes, I think he walks on the pitch, and I think you know what. I need to get through this game without making a mistake. But I think I'm going to make one. It's almost as though so. once he's made. <laughs> At least he's right but once about he's, that. <laughs> once he's made one, it's almost like he was relieved. You know what I'm trying to say? He's like, I've made the mistake. Now I can. He's like, It's over with now. I've made it. Let me just get through this game now. I've got my Mustafi out of my system. Yeah, exactly. And I, I tell you, lads, I'm telling you, mate, football is not easy. They can they can all play, but can they play under pressure? We all saw what Per said about how he wanted his career to end. You know, he couldn't wait for it to end. He found the pressure over you know, all consuming towards the end. It's
1: obvious that's why very, that's very, very few make it at this level though, Clive. I mean, exactly you when know, yeah. and stuff he can't.
2: I'm not trying to push back. We all we all know the drill. It's a very easy analysis, right? We're way we're way above it, by the way. We're way above it. Spotting someone's mistake. wow, right? So he makes mistakes that really seem to hurt us, right? But in between those moments, he looks a decent player. You have to say it. He passes the ball really well. He's really robust. He's not, too, he's not super slow. He has moments. He's where good he in the absolutely, air. I'll give him that. that that's his absolutely strength. absolutely derails. And we all know about, um, and for me, that's a mental weakness issue. It's not a football issue. So you've got to say to yourself, is he right for this environment? Is the spotlight too great for him? Is he almost over-promoted? But he's a footballer. He's a decent footballer. He just may not be a decent footballer for Arsenal much longer. Do You know what I mean? And that's what we need to sort out. And um, But I, I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill him. I, I don't think it's healthier. I felt the same about Shaka. I didn't like it. I didn't like where he was getting killed. He made some very obvious mistakes. You know what? We fans, we're not always right about... Judging these people, we're not always right. Only a few weeks ago, people were slagging Shaka, slagging his wife, and slagging his baby.
1: Well, all right, I, I want I want to draw a line between people slagging Shaka's performances, which is totally in bounds and part of football analysis, and the other thing yep. you you stated, which is totally yeah, out of bounds yeah. and and done but by Cretinus, you it, know, absolutely, Neanderthals. Absolutely,
2: well, I know that line too. By the way, Elliot, right? But what it leads to is a a feeling of being overwhelmed in the moment and that leads to more mistakes and that self-fulfilling okay. prophecy that you're then, talking but about. But then let
1: me put, let me push back on that even because here's the reality right I think Granit Xhaka is a great example of why football is great and why even fans who everybody says "Oh, the fans are the worst can be great because Granit Xhaka was going through a really bad moment performing poorly for Arsenal under a coach who you know maybe he didn't see eye to eye with he behaved in a way that I don't think is befitting a, a captain and a player at Arsenal I don't think he handled it well. He threw a strop. He 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 didn't handle it right. Arteta came in and got him on side and he started putting in the effort. It doesn't take much for the fans to turn around and come back to you. And the fans have come yeah. back to Shaka because Shaka's come back and turned in performances that earn it. It's you know, it's not nobody wants to kill players that wear the shirt. Nobody wants to do that. And the, the re- reality with Mustafi is I think a lot of people have come all the way around to sympathizing with what he's going through, but it is well beyond the point. Sure, but it's well beyond the point where we can tolerate those kind of performances. Like, I would be at the point now where any solution at center back other than Mustafi would be acceptable in my mind because the risk of a game-losing error every game is just too great, regardless of what the other 80... 88
2: minutes I remember remember most of the uh, issues and maybe uh, without a couple of them we'd be playing Champions League football this season so Mm -hmm. we're, we're not talking about things which are quite small and I'm not trying to dismiss them I'm almost maybe trying to say that maybe what happened to Shaka is like a lesson to all of us not to write people off too soon you know because I did not see the solution to fix the Shaka problem I didn't see it. A new coach comes in. He has solutioned that problem. The same person and characteristics were there in that individual. He's obviously somebody that's very coachable. He's obviously got leadership qualities because that's why the players picked him. He's obviously got something about him that makes him quite popular. I'm not saying the staff is the same as that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I learned a lesson maybe um, and about not writing people off too soon although I'm not now vouching that Mustafi gets a five-year contract that sure. makes sense and, and
1: by the way I mean like I'll give you a great example Carl Jenkinson Carl Jenkinson was sort of he became a joke frankly at Arsenal I think the fans were pretty good to him he was you know when he was academy kid a, a, an Arsenal fan um and not an academy kid but you know you know an Arsenal fan and and I think we liked that about him and I thought fans were reasonably decent to him but the truth is he was kind of a, a figure of ridicule in some ways and like the reality is that Carl Jenkinson wasn't good enough to play football at Arsenal. That's not a crime, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. But okay. if you ignore that because you are constantly looking for, you know, silver linings in players, I, I think that you know, that doesn't do oh, you absolutely. any favors we either. You know? have,
2: because part of the reason why we're like 30 plus points behind Liverpool is we have a few of these Mustafis in the dressing room that have been here too long, haven't quite delivered, get paid too much, not just now, maybe historically. And we haven't quite got our recruitment contract renewal. We may be overpaid mediocrity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, we know that stuff. Yeah. We give like
1: second the, contracts to like Muhammad El Elneny. And you know, because I mean, yeah, exactly. you, you know can know what always that? find a reason to keep a player around. You can always do that.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we we know there's some housekeeping to do, and um, but it's, it's, I think it's quite interesting this game of his recovery. While we know the mistake was coming and it came, and I think it's interesting to see what's going to happen to him in the next few weeks, and how if Arteta can fix him, shall we say, make him feel less stressed, so he doesn't, so he takes that ball on the right foot, not with the wrong foot, and then underhits it. Do you know what I mean? Because he feels under pressure. It's just basic of decision making. It's technique between choice. his ears.
1: I agree with that. because yeah, I will say this. Absolutely. You know, the one thing that he does seem to have ironed out of his game a little bit is the just diving in early and taking himself completely out of the play. There's a little more discipline there. Let, let's let's move on because there's so much good to get to, but we, we have to stick with this incident, unfortunately. And Paul, I just I want to get your thought on double jeopardy and the penalty here. So apparently, the rule is. It, if it is an attempt to play the ball, then it's a yellow card and a penalty. If there is no attempt to play the ball, it's a red card and a penalty. First of all, I have complete sympathy with David Luiz. You could make the argument that he should just let the player score so he doesn't get sent off. But if I'm David Luiz there, I think, yeah, maybe I give away a penalty and I'll get shown a yellow card, but I'll I'll be kept on because they don't tend to send people off and give penalties anymore. And to say that there's no attempt to play the ball there is to view the worst Possible version of that event, and I think between the penalty we didn't get with Pepe, and you know some of the the other big decisions that have gotten, you know the VAR changing the yellow to the red with with Aubameyang, some of the decisions, could they be right? You'd have to see the worst version of the call for it to be right. And once again, I think this is the worst version of the call that is uh, applied against Arsenal. Do you agree with that assessment? Um,
3: well, let's talk about the Luis part of it. I I have no issues with what he did or what he tried to do. I listened to Lee Lee Dixon on the Hand Breaks Off podcast, and I thought uh, I I fully get it as a defender, and especially if you're a, a Luis mentality or a Ramos or whatever and mentality, you're just going to do everything to the last moment. You Wasn't t- there a
1: Bournemouth player who recently got sent off for literally like saving? A goal, right? Was it Bournemouth? Yeah. He, the handball, yeah. he dove in the... I mean, uh, I think cook. it's just... Yeah, it's just built in your instincts as a defender to keep the ball out of the net.
3: Yeah, it's not a switch you can flick. It's a mentality that you will literally do whatever it takes to keep that ball out of the net. Uh, and, and what was Luis really trying to do? He was trying to jostle a, nudge him right up to the point where it could be a sending off, but not quite. Now, that's a very fine line... Uh, it, that's a hot situation. There's legs, arms flying around. It, it's in the blink of an eye. And, and I'm with it, Had he backed away and let the guy take the shot? I'd have been okay with that. Had he done what he did? I'm okay with that. You, certain things are like the black art of defending. And they get away with shit they should never get away with. And occasionally they don't get away with stuff that maybe they could. Have. I think he's a little bit unlucky here, but not a lot unlucky. He, he rolled the dice. It didn't come out for him. I understood why he did it. It's really all on. This is one of those where I'm happy to say it's 100% on Mustafi. Um, yes, he could. Ha- had, had he just let him go, take the shot, it it's, all, it's probably 80% to go in, just as it is for the penalty. Uh, logically, I'd have let him take the shot, and I wouldn't have gone for that last-ditch tackle, but I wouldn't have said I'd have been lauding him had he pulled that off, even with some dark trickery.
1: This is why it's so harsh. The whole point of the rule is to not create that double jeopardy. And so I get it. If you're not going for the ball to red card, that's the strict construction of the rule. But if you're a referee, you're given an opportunity. I'm going to give a penalty here. I have the option to give a yellow or a red. If I want to view that as going for the ball, I can keep the player on and keep the game level and and reward this situation with what it deserves, a penalty opportunity. If I choose to see the worst version of it, I can give the red and totally destroy this game. And both of those decisions are probably just about okay with what happened. It just feels crazy to me. For the referee to choose the version of events that sends the player off there when he doesn't have to. If you've got to send a player off, send a player off. Go go ahead, Clive, because for me, this is— Can can
3: I say something on the referee side of the decision, which is if he— if they take this as the policy that you don't take them down in this situation— then that line starts to move, and they'll hack down everybody who's through on the basis that there won't be double jeopardy. Right, so why not is, take him down? Is,
1: is an att- so for me, an example of not an attempt to not play the ball would be like if Luis was directly behind him and pushed him with two hands in the back to the ground, then you send him off, right? Or if he just kicks out his legs from behind him. He's touched there, tight There are enough- a
3: lot of pushes, though, um, on guys who were through on goal. Those would all then qualify. See-
2: i thought for, for, for me just give you another view that what i think once he goes past the goalkeeper, he's now really in a high goal-scoring opportunity. And he, he veers to the right. He's not, he's not really in control of his body, right? But David Luiz can't quite get around goal-side. So he makes a semi-attempt for the ball and a semi-foul. But for me, what was really key was Mustafi was back on the line. And so the goal-scoring opportunity had reduced slightly from the moment he'd gone round Leno to the moment when he's just about to take the shot. Mustafi's on the line, so Luiz Felt more comfortable in making the foul, thinking I won't get sent off for this, I'll take the penalty in the card. And see when he gets to red, he think and he points straight to Mustafi on the line. Do you see what I mean? There's somebody there. He's not necessarily a goal. Do you see what I mean? This isn't a really Young tackle when someone, if you don't know what I mean by that, he's running straight in on goal, maybe no one in the goal. He's one of those. And I felt, I felt. It was really, really harsh. We didn't get any benefit there. We got all of the punishment.
1: It's the harshest it's, version of applying the rule possible.
2: Yeah. And I, I felt, I don't, you know, mistake happened and we didn't quite get goal side. And, but I think to, to give a penalty and the red card, you're literally, you know, killing the game. Although it didn't kill the game, it ignited the game, but you're killing the game. And I felt that was exactly why that rule. Was put in place. I mean, we. I was. I was in Paris when something happened similar with Jens don't, Lehmann, don't bring um, it up. Don't bring and it. you know, <laughs> I, I'm still not over it, right? And you, think, you're a few minutes in, and you're thinking your life just ended, right? And because that that was the rules of the game, you know. So we, I, we have to be better about this, and I think we are very unfortunate to um, get that double punishment.
1: Yeah. Well, I will say this. I mean, I have no idea what would happen if Louise stayed on. We weren't playing well up to that point, and there are people who are going to say, "Oh, you know, we were terrible leading up to the penalty, and and so you know we were going to concede anyway." You can have bad periods in a game. Chelsea had a period against us at the Emirates where they could have conceded four, five, six, seven. Eight. You know, they were getting slaughtered, and then they came back and really took control of the game. We see this every game that there's an ebb and flow. So to me, the idea that we weren't going to somehow get control of the game and then have our our good period. I think is an intellectual leap that that's not there real quick before we move on from this and and how it changed the game and, and the subsequent events. Anybody have any issue with Leno there at all?
3: Not for me mm, it, it looked a little funky, but no, not really. I mean he could
1: go in harder, but then he risks getting sent off. I mean he he could try to drop back if he realizes he's not getting into the ball. I don't know that that makes it that much better personally. i I don't think it's his fault. I think it's a mustafi fault. I don't think it's Louise. I don't think it's Leno. For for me, yeah. that's all on Mustafi. We don't need to relitigate that. So let's move on. And I think this is a good time to praise Arteta, actually. I think Arteta did a lot right in this game. I, we'll talk about the decision to give the armband to Bellerin and start Bellerin because, obviously, that winds up being a very, very important decision that he made. I probably didn't love the holding for Pepe swap. I thought that went pretty poorly and and could have cost us the game. But the one thing he absolutely got right is leaving the team as it was with 10 men. And he was asked about it after the game on whether he was thinking of bringing off Martinelli for holding after the the red card. And he said, not Martinelli, but I did change my mind. I was thinking about that and I said, I don't want to send that message to the team. We decided to keep it as we were and give them a chance. I wanted to see how they could respond to that. I didn't want to make the response for them because I wanted them to be accountable for what they do and I didn't want to make a decision so they wouldn't decide for themselves. It's a great response from them. I think this is really interesting because comparing and contrasting against the previous manager is obviously built into that. But just the decision to to let them go out there and, and prove that they could respond changes this game. And so, Paul, I mean, just in terms of the credit Arteta deserves for having that resolve away to Stanford Bridge when you could be thinking damage limitation already, you could be thinking, I don't want to get embarrassed, things haven't been going great for us, but instead you let your players respond. How much character does that show and, and how impressed are you by it?
3: I think it's huge. I think you compare and contrast to the the narrative for the previous Chelsea game where the thing was he left his changes too late and you think, "Hang on." <laughs> That's what he's getting credit for here. The thing is you can only develop this experience. He can he can come in as a genius coach w- with the it factor and and knowing what he wants to do and clever plans and adjustments, but in-game stuff, this was a huge game for Arteta, Arteta. Coming out of it, he'll he'll walk out of this feel much more. I don't know how confident he was in his decisive indecision, but he'll come out of this beginning to really start to trust his gut. And, you know, there was there was quite the debate among the commentators if it was going to be Martinelli or Pepe. And then my mind goes, well, what are the options here? Uh, I don't want either of those coming off for obvious reasons. Those are the guys who, who Chelsea would be afraid of getting the ball and tearing at them upfield. Those are our outballs. Do you need both of them? Probably. Uh, is it Lacazette? Well, his work rate, he's not the guy likely to score, but man, he's tearing it up down the middle. But I, I could see it maybe been him, maybe being Ozil, but he's the guy who stitched the play together on the counter for you. And I'm like, well, maybe it's a left field choice. No pun intended. Maybe you, you let go of somebody like uh, Saka and you put Chaka back there while you bring on holding. So you go through the options. There's no good option here. And while he's thinking about that, while he's going back, maybe between Martinelli or Pepe, Pepe or Rosal, the team starts playing okay. And you start to see them uh, basically demonstrate that they can step up to this and that they have threat with the players on the pitch. And he trusts his gut having talked to the coaches that will wait a little longer, and then you're closer to halftime. And he waits longer again, and then after halftime, I assumed he'd make his change at halftime. He doesn't even do it then. So you know, hindsight narrative is a wonderful thing. Had things gone belly up, he would be once again critiqued for uh, his indecision. But that's that's the that's the loneliness of the job. He got it right. Uh, I think more than it's showing that he. He's the right stuff before he came into it. I think uh, what what gives me uh, the greatest encouragement is that he'll, he, he trusted his gut and he'll come out of this thinking, yeah, I can make these decisions in game. Um, there's a lot of luck involved. It can go either way. He got it right on the night. Uh, he could have been unlucky on another night. But this will strengthen his hand in the dressing room. And the response he got as well at, at halftime, I think that's the other part of that. Because, again, he could have made a change at halftime, perfectly reasonable, uh, made some adjustments. And he, as he said, he was sending a message to the team. But I think the team sent him a message first. They were responding. Uh, he had the, the, the uh, open-mindedness, but the courage to see that and mm. say, hang on a second,
1: let it ride. Yeah, and like, come on. We don't have to always say everything the new coach does is great because not everything the new coach does is going to be great. But there are big moments, big turning points, big things you have to get right, and I thought he got this right. And just as proof that it's not always easy to be a new coach at a big club, Barcelona are losing at halftime to Ibiza and not at drug-taking or dancing, but at football. So so there you go. Proof that it's not always easy taking over these big clubs. Clive, um, how impressed are you with Arteta's resolve there? you have any thoughts on on the decision to, to leave it as it was?
2: Now, all I would say is when you go down to 10 men, always have, from a coach's point of view, always have the ability to spring. And so you know you're not going to get out. But if you do get out, you need to, it's going to be done by pace. It's not going to be done by passing. Uh, It's going to be done by speed. So you've got to keep your speed on. So it's difficult for him. What does he do with the front three? What What he can do is try to get him to work harder but also keep the ability to hit speed and have an outlet and give people rest. So You need to give people rest. So for me, by adding a defender on what you're saying is we're playing here in a low block, right? We're just, we're just, ter- that's what we want you to do. And we're just going to watch them go around the horseshoe till they just, you know, death by a thousand cuts type football. But we're having the option to spring it's really important from a hope perspective, and I, I I thought it was good that he waited. I think we're learning about his substitutions, and it's going to be interesting how he develops a substitution pattern. How we analyze that going forward, but right now I don't know what that is, and I'm not bothered. I'm just glad that the first Chelsea game he got a bit of got a bit of a roasting for being outcoached by Lampard. In this game, I'm not saying that he outcoached Lampard, but I think he outmanaged him. Mm. I think his management was better. His management of the game was better. I don't think Chelsea game mates is very well at all. So I think that's um, an interesting development in the short period of time already.
1: Yeah, and okay, so we're going to get to the real fun stuff shortly, but I think we have to give big credit to a player who allowed Arteta to make that brave decision, and that's Granit Xhaka. We've touched on it already, but Paul, I mean, the interesting thing about dropping Xhaka into... The, the back line here is in a way it's a perfect scenario because the game is going to stay in front of him, right? This is, you're not going to be pushed up. You're not going to be playing center back on the halfway line, right? You're, you're not going to be doing anything exotic. You know, you're going to be under the cost. You know, you're going to be pushed back. So the game is in front of you. You don't have to worry about tracking, you know, tricky runners in behind for the most part. Um, and the other thing is when you get the ball, you need to distribute accurately. You, you can't give away possession cheaply because, you know, th- then the it's coming right back at you, and you try to have to have that control. And we know Mustafi was not uh, passing particularly well in the game, and he needed someone who could get the ball at his feet and distribute cleanly. and And that's exactly what Xhaka could do. I thought this was this was a character performance. I mean, I, I realize that you, it still takes skill; it's not just character. But I he agree. was eighty one percent passing. You know, forty three of his fifty three passes. A lot of those from deep you know, under pressure, uh, moved the ball forward, kept us in possession, obviously did a lot of work defensively, trying to recover the ball, uh, aerial duels that he had to handle, you know, which is not necessarily a strong suit. I don't know that, had there been anyone else on the pitch, I mean, obviously, if it had been uh, Ganduzzi and Torreira, for example, he would have had to change it. He, he couldn't have stuck with it. Shaka's ability to drop in, I think, was was the reason we were able to stick with it and ultimately get something from this match. Is that, is that a fair statement?
3: Yeah, and I think it is character more than skill or performance, but he had that too. Uh, He was commanding in the back line. I mean, it did bring the best out of him. Um, This is a guy uh, you you do go to the mattress with. Um, For all his flaws in terms of character, it was always clear what his strength was, which was the esprit de corps. I mean, he's part of this group. And they've, they look to him, and they always have looked to him automatically. So um, the, the the beauty of being down to 10-man is everything is about being compact, uh, trusting each other, working with each other. Uh, and w- when you look at the back line, Bellerin just back and uh, it, it, on a gimpy leg, so gimpy he decided he'd have to score with his left. You have uh, Mustafi reeling from psychological PTSD on... Uh, You got Saka um, coming into his own, but still an um, 18-year-old, impressing greatly as the game went on, looking better and better. Um, And it was just, it was an effort from everybody. And I think Chaka is a big presence in this team, in the squad. He doesn't have to be a big presence for the fans, uh, for the external world. That doesn't matter. His strength has always been, in terms of character within the team, Um, his relationship with the other players and they all dug in and they fought for each other, not for 70 minutes, not for 80 minutes for the required 94 minutes, right to the end. We were as strong as they were. We bled, we suffered, we put it all out there. And the importance of this game is not what happened in the game. It's what, where they take it on afterwards. This gives every one of them a platform and that's what redemption smells like. You don't. It doesn't really matter which side of the granite chaka debate you're on. This is only good for this team, this squad, this manager. Whatever happens with Chaka in the summer, uh, you know I, I love a ha- happy ending where we all head off into the sunshine in, uh, in two or three years' time together. But really, uh, uh, this is a sport that goes season by season. So if we can all get to the summer and all. And either he goes on with us or he moves on to other pastures. So be it. But uh, this is a a real redemption, I think, uh, and a bridge builder for every. You got to address these things. Uh, there are different ways of addressing it, and I think this is a bridge rebuilt between him, um, the club, and the fans. It doesn't. You know, we don't have to carry him around on our shoulders from here on in. There was an understanding, I think, built. People reminded themselves who this guy really is in terms of character. And yes, he's still that other guy, the guy too stubborn, too proud uh, to apologize for a mistake made. Uh, But he's also this guy and he's always been this guy, which is if you're in a hole, the old foxhole uh, 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 trope. But if you're in a foxhole, he's a guy you want to be in there with. You yeah. can trust this guy.
1: And every once in a while he might lob the grenade into his own foxhole by accident, but that can happen. Look, I mean
3: Because you called his mother uh
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Look, and this is why and I love beating dead horses. So let me just beat this one super quick. This is why it never makes sense to go to war with fans, cuz you know what's just a lot easier? Say the performative right thing, then go out and have one good game and they will love you again and put them on your show put put you on their shoulders again. Like fans are sappy, emotional idiots who want to love everybody who pulls on the shirt. It won't happen for every player, but it's what we want deep down. And so, you know what? Go out and have well, one I good game. Go out true, and play Elias. center back with 10 men at Stanford Bridge and be a hero again. It's just so much easier to win the fans back than than going to war with them. <laughs> you
3: know? Yeah. Uh, I, well, well, that's true. It, it, both sides of his character are why you get the good out of him. exceptionally.
1: He's exceptionally
3: dug in and gritty and loyal and about... The core, the team, and that's the good and the bad. And you know
1: what? So then, my my only code of that would be then maybe what's missing in his personality is what's missing in his game, which is just that tiniest bit of maturity and self awareness. Sure. To not be hot headed sure. when the moment calls for a cooler head. He needs to grow. There's yeah. no two yeah. ways about um, it. Um, Clive, but but I mean, his his performance I think stands out for me. I think we we should spare a, a moment for Bukayo Saka. Bukayo Saka, who is a teenage forward playing fullback and proving that that could be every bit as much of his future as forward could be. Um, I don't know that the game started brilliantly for him, but his ability to defend that wing and just handle the threat time and time and time again, I, I thought was excellent. Um, you know, I I think that side defensively was what they targeted. And early in the game, we were struggling. There's no question in my mind that Chelsea targeted the Martinelli-Saka wing, and early in the game, they were getting a lot of joy out of that. He composed himself. He wound up finishing the game with the best sort of counting stats defensively, and I think his maturity, under pressure again, uh, deserves huge credit, and, and maybe will go overlooked because of Bellerin wearing the armband and scoring the equalizer late and Martinelli announcing himself on a big stage, both of which we'll come to very, very shortly, I promise, but I don't want to overlook Saka because it's, it's a big performance in a big spot.
2: Yeah, and I, I suppose the the debate is what is he, huh? and, I, and I don't really mind really what he is. Who cares, right? right? For now, what's, what's, what's becoming clear is that he's going to be in Arsenal's squads going forward for many a weekend, and we can decide how we use how we use him. And again, what's you know we're not sure how this season's going to end or what's going to be the obituary at the end of the year, but what we are definitely seeing is a. A number of players are improving and telling us about them, what they can be, how they can be utilized. And the more we see this, the more we see him play left back, the more we see him play, you know, on the left wing, the more we see him, the more we can say, okay, now I know where I need to buy. And I do think it's so important for as we project forward. And maybe that's what we were really discussing about the Ozil discussion earlier on. It's not really about Ozil. it's about where we're going. We're projecting. Now we're looking at and we're projecting. We're looking at Saka, and we're projecting. We see Bellerin come back in. We can't have him play 60 games on the trot like he did before his cruise ship. We see Maitland Niles. We're thinking, well, we're covered there now. So we, we, we're sorted out. We can now spend that money elsewhere. The Shaq, uh, the Mustafi question, you know, we know we've got to do something there. It's not sustainable over a medium-term period. We have to do something. And we shall. We're seeing it continually. We're getting something out of him because it's the goal of the game. We have to do something. I think with Saka we're seeing a player who I think, you know, Really showing us his his massive potential, and for me, the responsibility he's taken on his shoulders. If I said to both of you guys, "Could you, you know, could you imagine him playing left back away at Chelsea?" If I said that to you six months ago, you would have said, "Well, I have heard he's played under seventeens for England at left back." Mm-hmm. That's what I would have said. I-, I would not, clarity. because I would
1: not have known that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I, and I have said that in the past. I know there was a debate about what he was. This is not a total surprise, as he left back or left wing to me. But I'm not going to put my hand up and so say he can handle Hudson-Odoi and Willian and all those flyers down his side. No, I I could not imagine that. And and he has done that. But not only done that, I had the personality to take them backwards. And that's huge. So if you do it at Stanford Bridge, you can do it anywhere, right? So I think this is what we're finding. We're seeing those two 18-year-olds develop a relationship and so you're starting to see, you start to project to those Arsenal fans of yesteryear when we had the, the Row Castles and the Michael Thomas come up together, you know, it's like, it's like that type of brotherhood developing in, in a different way and I, mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting that a number of these young players are developing very, very close together, very, very close in age. And where they end up in a year's time is going to be so 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 interesting.
1: Well, and and really determine the trajectory of the of the club. Um, Saka, Absolutely. most touches, Absolutely. most duels won, most tackles made, most fouls won, joint most open play crosses. Um, those are squawka stats, and counting stats. Admittedly, are not always instructive, but I think it is here. You know what it tells me? It tells me that we should be laven Kurzawa in Paris. Am I right? Zing. Uh Am I right? Um, Okay, let's get to the golden god himself, Gabriel Martinelli. And it is the moment of the game. (laughs) <laughs> it is the moment of the game. It is the moment when Mustafi gets an assist somehow, despite uh, Martinelli having to go 75 Change yards.
2: Change your analysis, Elliot. Yeah, changes, Change uh, it.
1: changes my whole analysis right there. That's statistics for you, lies, damn lies, and statistics. He heads it out, and away goes Martinelli, and up the pitch goes Martinelli, and it comes off his knee a little heavy, but it tricks Conte, and he slips down, and Martinelli is in, and me, the dumb, stupid idiot that I am, wants him to slip it across to Pepe, who's running with him. Give it to Pepe. You'll never finish this. Just give it to Pepe. And now let's pause for a moment from preseason. It's Fiorentina. Young Martinelli. Who is this kid? Gets the ball. Blazes up the pitch 70 yards. Wow, what a burst. What an exciting kid. Gets into the box and blazes it just wide and slides to his knees in despair. But not this time. Not this time as he passes it past a diving Kepa. Uh, Kepa, who is totally incompetent, by the way, I think it should be noted. But not in this case. The finish is pure. There's nothing he can do about it. Uh, He didn't need Pepe. He announces himself... Double figures for goals already. Ten goals this season for Martinelli. Doing it on the big stage. Doing it down to ten men. End-to-end goal. Paul, you you really can't script moments like this uh, because people would say it's too unrealistic. But to go from a kid sort of showing a little burst in preseason and an exciting teenager with maybe a future someday at Arsenal to scoring end-to-end wonder goals against Chelsea down to ten men... Um, this this guy's the limit for this kid this is this is definitely one of the moments of the season for me
3: it was superb and I think on this one he fully earned his look he ran at Kante like a train like he does and Kante thought he was gonna uh, slip it early to Pepe and he's looking to his left and then he thinks holy shit he's coming at me down the other side and like many other players did uh, he slipped as he's trying to scramble around. Do you uh, he, think just, he, just quickly, he shits do, his pants is basically what happens with Kante. Do you,
1: do you think that Conte, who we know is a loyal guy an emotional guy, a guy who cares about the fans and the club and the shirt he wears. Do you think that maybe it is just a, a loyalty to John Terry and he's trying, he's trying to pay homage there?
3: Indubitably. Cool. Uh, and what an homage it was.
1: I loved every minute of it.
3: Go on. Yeah, it was great. Um, But I do genuinely think he kind of earned that bit of luck. That's what he does. He runs at you. And he runs so straight as well. So many other players would have kind of taken a... a, a, The reason his touch is so big is because he's planning to go straight at you. Now, it's a little too big. But the pressure he puts people under, other people would have taken, tried to take it a little bit around to the side, maybe get their head up. He earns this because this is what he does. I, I thought Arteta was was spot on with him in that he said all game long he was running straight at Azpilicueta and um, the the whole Azpilicueta uh, celebration after his goal was, uh, I I don't know why there's always some Chelsea player who just revolts me in terms of how they carry themselves Alonso, Azpilicueta whoever it is Um, it was sweet that it was Martinelli that that turned this over and went straight at them. And he was—he had been going at Pelic quite a, every chance he got during the game. So I um, thought it was beautiful. So cool under pressure. Um, as you pointed out, this is not a one-off. That's why it's not a fluke. He'll do this again, and he'll run at defenses again. And he's, all, he's like lots of players run in straight lines, but does anybody run straighter, faster, truer? Uh, than this guy. And, and yeah, I know what you mean about the pass off to Pepe, but there's a blink of an eye where it's it's the obvious pass and it's perfect. If you don't, if, you, if he doesn't let the ball go to Pepe at exactly the right moment, it's going to be the wrong moment. I don't actually think it's that, that easy a pass for a guy going full clap straight down. There's a moment when it is and there's a moment before that and after it when there isn't. And he just says screw it he'd said David Luis told him at halftime get me a goal go out and score me a goal out there so you can imagine what was on his mind he just tore up the middle
1: yeah and I mean it, it, look it's it's a fan's perspective when you see Pepe making the run and you just you just want the, the goal anyway you can get it and you're like slide it to him he's wide open but of course no player is going to do that certainly not a golden god Messi Ronaldo hybrid with a, a much higher ceiling than either of them and uh, Tim Stillman who unfortunately is not available this week and would have loved to have had him on this pod, but we'll have him back soon. Um, You know, as I think we know, he is prone to uh, a level measured reaction to things. And he says, if Gabriel Martinelli doesn't single-handedly lift Arsenal back to where they should be, the money Real Madrid-Barcelona give us for him will. Um, And then he says, asterisks, until Raul spunks it all at Kia Jorabjian's boot sale. But, I mean, it certainly feels like this kid can change the trajectory of the club either with his performance or with the fee he secures, and I hope it's the former and not the latter. Clive, how how big a moment is this for you, and, and is this, you know, I think of Michael Owen announcing himself, I think, with a goal. Granted, it was in international football where he ran the length of the pitch, I believe, to score, if I'm remembering that correctly. This is certainly not as big a moment, but it felt like an announcement. A, a player who we already thought the world of just taking it to another level. D- does it feel that big to you?
2: Yeah, that was France 98, England versus Argentina. I was just going to say where, that, yeah. Where he ran <laughs> past Rizzo Pochettino, funnily enough. Ah, now, it, now I
1: like him a little bit more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he announced himself on the world stage and we thought, "Well, what is this all about? And I, and I remember seeing... Uh, I remember seeing Gareth Bell run past into Milan all of a sudden and score a hat trick at the San zero. And it's like, Okay, this guy was playing left back a little while ago and every time he played for Spurs they they lost. They were looking to sell him to Birmingham, I believe. Right? So and suddenly he just finds himself and announces himself. And I've always felt Arsenal needed one of these. <clears throat> needed somebody to come out of out of the sky and and lift us. And I'm thinking. I am asking myself. I'm generally asking myself the question: What have we got here? Right. So, and I'm and I'm not sure yet. I'll, I'll be true. I'll be truthful. I, I see something, which is a, the attributes of a modern player that fits how a modern fan watches a football match. But if I said to you. Has he got a wicked left foot? Has he got a killer right foot? Has he got a killer pass? Is he a killer in the air? Does he, you know, okay, we all know he does. He works really, really hard. I, I just think he does what's required at that moment, and he makes the correct choices far too often for somebody at 18. And then you underpin the physical attributes that he has and that are still developing. And you then start to ask yourself, "Well, I'm asking myself, what have we got here? What is he going to do? How is he going to develop?" And I think that is something that I almost don't want to answer, but I just want it to just—I just want to watch it. I want to watch it to see where it where it ends up, and to see if what we're all feeling today is real, or is it? Oh, are we are we being high, overly hyperbolic? So I think. We have a modern attacking footballer that we can deploy in many different uh positions and profiles, etc. And I just can't wait to see how he meshes with the new Arsenal that's coming in the next year or so. I I don't know what he's gonna look like, I don't know his role. But wow, that is so exciting to see that unfold and mm. it's been
1: He has so
2: to- just to see that unfold has just been one of the moments of the season.
1: He has to, like, start every Premier League game he's fit for now, right? Because the Premier League is, it's not a total wash. We need to get into Europa League places. But, I mean, it's mostly a wash, and he can score goals, and we're a team that's a little goal-shy as it is, and his development is now, you'd have to put it up there if you said, what are, the, what are the two most important things this season for Arsenal? I'd say win the Europa League and develop Martinelli. He's got to play every game, doesn't he?
2: Well, win the Europa League, that's, a, that's an interesting one now because that's where my head is at. And if you're if you are really talking about a potential four that we're talking about or thinking about in our minds, and they're all fit and ready to go and, and improving, and we're looking at what's happening with you know Man- with Manchester United with Rashford's injury, for example, I know that I had to come back down to that competition, but for a club like Arsenal, probably were the the biggest clubs in that tournament with the biggest you know revenue and and wage bill you got to think that we should be heading to the semi-final stroke final. And if we do, I think we have a better offensive chance this year than we did last year, where we were very Aubameyang and Lacazette-centric. And what Chelsea did was say, all right, we're going to give you the wide areas, but we're not going to give you the box. Suddenly now we have a, a front section of the team which can do damage in wide areas and centrally. And I think that makes us a dangerous animal. So if we can develop keep developing our offensive strategy, find the roles for this kid where he's going to actually flourish with the others. We've got a real opportunity, mate, because we got two very good goal scorers minimum and two, you know, two or three others that are flickering ready to explode. So it does make things very exciting.
1: Mm, yeah. And, and I think, you know, look, we, we want to be excited, right? To your, your word exciting, I think is important. And I, I questioned earlier on a podcast this season, you know, a couple weeks ago, how do you do mid-table? How do you get excited for games week in, week out? And I think part of that is when you have young players who look like supernova talents and you're excited to see how they develop. And for me, Martinelli certainly uh, qualifies for that. I, Paul, let's, let's skip their equalizer uh, pardon me, their, their, their goal that gave him the lead and and jump ahead to the, the late equalizer from Hector Bellerin. Bellerin started the game weirdly. At first, I was like, is, is he running in treacle? Like, what's going on? He looked a little slow. He didn't look on the pace. And then he just grew and grew and grew into the game. And I thought he got better and better and better and looked quicker and looked more assured. And ultimately, I thought it was a brilliant game. I think William was on his side and did nothing. Now, that might be by design. I do think they were sort of targeting the Saka Martinelli side. But, but I thought Bellerin shut everything down on that side. Willian had no joy against him. Uh, He got up and down the pitch well. He had a couple good moves uh, in attack. And I have to admit, I couldn't help but think of um, Sanya, Beccari Sanya, scoring that header against Spurs in the derby to to bring us back and start the fight back for a game we eventually won and just willing himself to get us back into the game. Bellerin putting it on his weaker foot. The defender drops off a little bit. You know, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And curling it past Kepa as Rudiger had had a bird's eye view of it. It's it's a huge moment, and you know, for people who have sort of doubted or questioned Bellerin, oh, Maitland-Niles is already better than him, Bellerin doesn't have a future, uh, he's never going to come back. People who didn't have the patience with the kind of injury he's trying to recover from, just take one look at Rob Holding and the sort of shell of Rob Holding that, that he is at the moment trying to come back from a similar injury. How big a step forward is this for Bellerin as, as a figure at the club and as, as a player trying to make a comeback from a difficult uh, injury?
3: Look, that takes huge personality and character, to uh, pull that out of nowhere. Um, I actually thought he looked relatively perky for what I expected him to look for, for most of the game. Um, I thought he brought something right from the get-go that maybe uh, we had missed in terms of balance. It was interesting that we didn't try and do anything funky on that side uh, I don't think, in terms of pulling into midfield or anything like that. Maybe he hasn't had the chance to practice that and maybe it just wasn't part of this game setup. But we did seem to try to start with 11 men in a similar mode to how we we played our last few games. And I didn't see them asking, to do, asking Bellerin to do anything weird and wonderful in midfield here. It was more a conventional Bellerin display. So it'll be interesting to see if he's starting, whether we go to a more balanced approach now on both wings. Um, Because obviously this is a guy who can get forward, who does overlap, who provides his own threat in the final third. Um, And this needed something special in terms of the game. Um, There are big moments. You you can't just fight your way from behind. You, You need a couple of people to do a couple of big things when you're down to 10 men. Two shots, two goals i got to ask myself, what are all the other teams up to in the league? Why are they wasting all their shots? <laughs> um, but we had, what it really means is we had two players who had two big moments and took them. And, uh, you know, we had a little help from Chelsea's defence in this particular occasion. Kepa maybe not uh, getting his positioning uh, aggressive enough for that for that curler. Maybe he just didn't rate Bellerin's left foot. Um, and uh, Tammy Abraham limping around the place, blocking his own players. But still, Bellerin had everything to do um, and and pulled it off. So two big moments, two big players for us going forward. Both young, both both uh, of the foreign, but of the ages that they're young enough to become a real part of the fabric of this club, along with, with Saka and co. So uh, incredibly encouraging. And, you know, he's just a guy that he's one of those guys that fans can see the team and the club through um, and it connects them to the club in ways that maybe some other players who were who are just as as good footballers, but they just don't relate to them. So Hector, Hector if Hector can stay fit and, and move forward and, and play at his level and beyond, uh, it's big for us as a club and as as supporters uh, in terms of our connection with this squad, which is what, you know, it's what we've seen Liverpool do and Klopp do brilliantly. And Arteta is going to try and orchestrate a connection between us and the team and himself and the club that we haven't seen for years. And Hector could be a huge part of that.
1: Yeah, and and he, he is a huge part of it. And I think it just shows, again, a little bit of Arteta's understanding of the club in a way that maybe Emery didn't, giving... Bellerin this start and the armband and understanding what the club means to him and what he means to, to the fans or at least a section of the fans. And, you know, it's um it's really interesting too because I think we, we had some debate about Maitland-Niles leading up to this game and sort of like, oh, you know, he's good defensively. He's doing great. Maybe he's not, his overlapping or not overlapping is by design or is it him? You know, he's not quite doing enough in attack, but maybe that's by design. And I do think maybe, just maybe, Arteta's decision to start Bellerin here is a reminder that while I think Maitland Niles has done really well and deserves credit for what he's done in Bellerin's absence, that there isn't really so much of a debate about who the first choice is and that there isn't really so much of a debate about the future of the position, at least you know in the near term, because this is a big game. It's a way. And to reintroduce Bellerin and give him the armband under this circumstance shows huge faith in him. Uh, Clive, I think he repaid that faith, and I think it was just a little reminder that uh, let's not crown the future king just yet because I think Hector Bellerin is here to stay for a long time, and hopefully, this is the first step in him getting back to what can be a, a very, very high level of performance when he's at his best.
2: Yeah, I, I, obviously, I think he represents more than just football for for Arsenal. I think he he's been here for I don't know eight years now, whatever it is, and I think um, he 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 has got one of that. He's got a connection, and you can see it and feel it. And um, I think I do think. It's important to have those people in the team that we all sort of could connect to. I think it's very important we don't overplay him. I keep saying it. I'm sure we get some statistics, but he was always the player that we never really had cover for. You know, Tabuchi had a period when he came he started in. Started every game one through. season, didn't he, or something yeah. crazy like that?
1: Yeah, every Premier League game.
2: Yeah. He really, he always stayed fit, and, we, and until he didn't, and then you think that's a bad injury, He lost a year of his career. It's very important you protect people's careers by how you underpin them with a talent that she's, you know, good enough. Not not Carl Jenkinson, not that not that player, not Mustafi, who's played right back, not Callum Chambers, who's also had to fill in at right back on occasion, with somebody that can really do the job. It doesn't change our style, so we can protect people's careers. You know. Don't overplay them because we lose them for too long. There's too many crucial to Arsenal. Some of that's unfortunate. Some of that for me I think is is misuse and mismanagement. So great to see him back. Didn't expect that. None of us did. First game, choppy, up and down, lots of adrenaline. Fantastic because I was a bit worried about him. But he looked stronger. He didn't look as light. He looked fitter. And he also got the personality to find himself in the last third and finish like that, which is just great.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, it is it is more willpower than anything else. And I look, Keppa doesn't do great on it, but Kepa is bad, and that is hilarious, and we should all laugh at that. Because they paid a fortune for him, and he is
2: seventy million. Plus.
1: Genuinely terrible. It's fantastic. I mean, he has he has the worst save percentage in the Premier League. I think he's saving about half the shots he faces. It's it's just they fantastic. I can
2: afford it, Elliot, because the because the put in two hundred and forty two million of his own money last year. So.
1: Yeah, but hey, if they're going to spend it, I'd rather they spend it on trash. I mean, it Still makes me happy. <laughs> um, look, look, I, it's not all roses and flowers and per- perfume for me in this game. I I didn't. I don't think the holding for Pepe move worked. I think it gave up what was becoming a little bit of of momentum for us in terms of pushing them back a little. There were periods where they looked really rattled. And with Pepe's threat off the pitch, I think they were a lot more confident stepping forward. And and holding, he looked pretty shaky to me, to be fair. He he did. Um, I I said I didn't want to emphasize their goal, but I think we should at least touch on it. Um, I don't know if Holding does great in the first phase there, and I, I think we've praised Mustafi, but he sort of just goes to sleep and marks nobody there as well. So, Paul, how do you feel about the Holding sub, his performance, and maybe the uh, uh, allocating a little bit of the responsibility for their their goal, uh, their second goal?
3: Um, so yeah, uh, I think there's there's a little bit of blame to go around. Uh, as you distributed it there, i I didn't spend a huge amount of time studying it, but I, I I mostly read other people's comments, and it seems to be a consensus um of a little bit of blame to go around. But it, you know, what are you going to do? that There's probably another ten or fifteen situations. like there's the uh, for all the lauding we're doing of Chanka here, there's the Cal, Callum Hudson adoy opportunity just at the end, where he's like at at the front post. And the goal's at his mercy if he can get it past Leno and he blasts it to the right. Well, Jack has played him onside and, and hasn't fully centre-backed him in terms of position. I, I think you could find, you know, a 100 instances where somebody did something slightly wrong. But these are how these games are. It's just a scramble. It's, you know, great blocks, people throwing their bodies in front of things. I, I I don't think you worry about the details with something like this. All that matters is what you take forward. I agree. Holding, you know, if you discuss holding, looking a little out of sorts, well, entirely understandable. Been thrown into the middle of it. Um, and I, But I don't think it's important, I guess, is the bottom line at the end of it. I think mm. there's a lot you could you know what I mean? You, no, you can I, I pick get it. out things. You know I, I don't for know me, that any Paul? of it's important going forward. Yeah,
1: I, I think the reason it's important is only is only because we still have problems to solve at the back. And I think there is a view towards Holding coming. I mean, it, you know, Socrates and Louise looks like it's our first choice. We'd like to keep Mustafi out of the side, potentially. There's a question of can Holding do that? And I don't know that he has exactly stepped in and made it clear that he's— that reliable choice. And obviously he hasn't done it in training enough because we started with Mustafi in this game. So that's the only reason I think it's worth evaluating. And, and also just in terms of giving Arteta credit for the ways he didn't change the game and the ways, uh, you know, he, he got it right. I don't know that the Pepe, Pepe holding swap achieved what he wanted, which is just to sort of say, okay, now we sit in and just get to the end here. And, and it, it nearly cost us because we wound up conceding, And then when you're down to one and you don't have Pepe on there, you wonder how you're going to get it back, and then the obvious answer is a weak-footed shot from outside the box from your captain, Hector Bellerin. Clive, you have a view on their goal and on the, the holding swap?
2: Yeah, I think on, on the goal, I think maybe if you're looking at the the coaching message, I think it's how do we switch on when it comes to quick free kicks? We saw what happened at um, Palace the quick free kick we weren't really switched on they went down a, our left hand side and across the face of the area and then we concede they take a quick corner and we were maybe distracted by Tammy Abraham coming back from a near death experience against the advertising hoardings. there were people in offside positions they take a short corner and it looks disorganised and then people are looking around who wondering who to pick up and then what you have you have somebody in the front in Lacazette and Lacazette decides to change how he's going to attack that ball. So rather than move his upper body to it and he'll head it away or chest it away, he moves out of the way to try to hook it away and realises it's too high. So straight away the defenders are on their heels because they're thinking the front zone man's going to clear it. He goes through the front zone and now it's into the mixer. And um, there was only one man moving in the mixer and that was Asper Laquera. So I just think it's a moment of freezing, a moment of panic, a moment of late in the game, we got 10 men, can we hold on? Can we hold on? Can someone else deal with it? And then we end up not dealing with it and it ends up in the back of our net. And it's just, it's just the football pressure. And I think one of the things you do do when you're playing against 10 men is you do quick restarts, you keep people moving, you get them disorganised because eventually there'll be be a space for somebody not picked up. So Chelsea did that, Palace did that to us the other day, one to watch. When the ball goes out, keep alive, don't go to sleep because we've got to wake up because we're we're conceding.
1: Yeah, and, and look, I mean... I'm not trying to kill anybody in particular because it's a tough situation. I I just don't know that that sub worked out great, and I don't know that Holding looks particularly ready yet. And I think it's worth remembering, unlike Bellerin, he was just getting to be a player ready to be a first-team player at Arsenal when he got that injury. And so he lost so much time at such a critical juncture. It is going to take a while for him. Um, But I, I think, you know, ultimately, you talk about the importance of getting the point here working that hard being that organized and that disciplined and getting nothing from that game would have been so painful having bled and run and worked ourselves to death you know just three days after having worked so hard against Sheffield I think getting the point emotionally I mean on on, on the table it means next to nothing it's a 10 point gap we don't have another head-to-head game with Chelsea it's probably not going to happen of course but but it just means a lot i think in the step forward of trusting arteta and believing in him and pulling this team together and going forward as you know as a collective i just think that there's so much to be gained from it and so paul i mean just for you how meaningful was this result uh in the context of continuing to try to build trust in what arteta is doing bringing the group together and sort of earning something from from a performance that had the kind of character and discipline that was required.
3: I had a horrible feeling this was going to be one of those Pyrrhic uh, 10 men. It's a great word. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, totally inappropriate because it's a Pyrrhic victory and we got a draw. And really what I was thinking of is where you lose right at the end. Shame about that last minute goal. And it seemed like it was going that way. But This team didn't quit, and that hasn't been something we've been able to say too much over the last few years. So I think that's huge. I think Arteta personally will take a lot out of this in terms of confidence, trusting his in-game decision-making, working with this team. Individual players that we haven't talked about, like uh, I think Pepe was maybe a little off the radar, but was... At times, really good in this game in terms of the threat he provided and his ability to make something happen, all on his own. EO. He
1: he had a four a four on one at one point where it was four Chelsea players on him and they could not get him. And I, I who was it was it Emerson? It was someone hacked at him yeah. literally four times yep. to get him to the ground, <laughs> so determined to put him down. Yeah, yeah. And,
3: and and while this isn't the game I'd use as evidence, I, I really like how he's coming along now. I, I think. Before we looked at somebody like him and said, well, he's doing good things, but, but it doesn't feel good. And now it feels good, even though he's maybe not contributing the the killer blows yet. So I really think he's pointing in the right direction. And then he comes off a game like this, finally connected uh, to the squad, to the team, to the performance, to to you, you know skin in the game, emotion in the game, um, before he knows that he's connected to what we're trying to do as a team, to the manager. these it, the, Nothing bonds like these experiences, like back-to-wall situations where you came out of it, where you trust in each other, where you bailed out Mustafi, for God's sake. That will be the unifying thing. It's uh, saving private uh, Mustafi here, um, sending a whole troop of of guys uh, in behind enemy lines, all of whom get killed just so you can bring back Mustafi senseless, but man, did we all feel close. So I think all these players, uh, this just, you know, it just moves you on a level in terms of the connection and the supporters. I mean, it's just, it's different, right? You can just sense uh, when you look at the, the supporter response, that they think something might be happening here, and that's as good as it gets. You think something may be happening here. You, you start to, to be willing to trust your your feelings and your emotions, and that's that's a connection between the manager, uh, the players, the squad, the club. You want to ba- You want you want the club to back Arteta? Well, they need to believe. Well, they've started believing, I would think. Yeah. Um, it's going to be have a lot easier to back this guy than than see what happens with another guy. So I think this is something that builds, and we've seen it with Klopp at Liverpool.
1: Yeah, and, and now Aubameyang gets another rest against Bournemouth. Louise gets the day off against Bournemouth, so they don't play again until Sunday the second. It's Monday to Sunday is our next two, and then two weeks off, some warm winter, warm weather training somewhere for two weeks before we're home to Newcastle. And then four days later, it's away to Olympiacos for the competition that probably is the one that matters now. So a chance to maybe... You'll get those key fresh legs. Louise in his 30s, Aubameyang in his 30s, fresh legs, ready for the Europa League run. Martinelli announcing himself with a a goal that will burn into our memory and feels like it changes the trajectory of the the player in the club in some ways. Hector Bellerin announcing himself as captain again and scoring a crucial goal. There's just, we haven't had a lot of moments to lift us. It's been a season, I said this during the live commentary, it's a season, it's just been a living nightmare. And, 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 you know, at one point in the commentary I said, "Eh," you know, this is when it was was still 1-0. And nothing was happening. I said, you know what? Screw it. Someone just go punch someone. <laughs> Let's just go start a fight because <laughs> the football thing isn't working out for us. But, but this this felt little turning point And I realize that's all narrative, that something feeling like a turning point is narrative. The XG was like three and a half to point six, whatever. A lot of good moments, a lot of big memories from this. And hopefully, um, just a sign that this this team is, is getting it under this coach. Uh, I'll give you a f- final word before we sign off, Clive. I mean, for me, I left this on an emotional high. This was a reminder, as I said at the beginning of the pod, of why we watch football, why we care about football, because it does these things to you emotionally that really nothing else does. Certainly not, not without uh, injecting or, or eating or drinking things. So for you, what's your, what's your prevailing takeaway from the game?
2: My takeaway is you know, we, 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 we've chosen the cross that we're going to bear for the rest of our lives. We're Arsenal fans and that's it, right? So, And we haven't felt for quite a while that we're going in a positive direction. And I just feel, directionally, we are going in a positive way. And we can debate by how, how positive day is. And we, we just spent an hour and a half talking about a game that we didn't even win, right? So, we need when we start winning games and big games, we're gonna have to. I need new batteries for my laptop. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's just gonna go on and on, and so, and so we we do recognize that. I think we speak, talk about the process, right? I don't want to sound all Philadelphia 76ers, but
4: it, <laughs> is, <the> <laughs> it is.
2: about. It is. We can see the process from the. The coaching perspective we spoke earlier didn't we earlier we spoke earlier when I said I look at this as almost like a four-legged chair right you have the team you have the coach you have the fans you have the board right having the leg each right we can see the connection between the team and the fans is growing we understand I've got a little bit more clarity about what the coach is doing and now we need the final leg in the chair the leadership and the board To come and join and align with what we're doing. We can only judge them on their actions to increase revenue and their actions to improve our ability to recruit and talent identification. If they do their role and we have all four legs of the chair nicely there at the same length, we get something called stability, right? And we've got to get some forward movement. And I think as we go through this season, and hopefully the coach keeps developing. Hopefully the players keep developing. Hopefully we do the right sense of recruitment based on what we're seeing right now. On players that need to need to go out, and players need to be given more of a chance to play. But in the end, we're going to look towards our leadership, our executive board, and our leadership, and see what they do. And I think that's the, the exciting thing. We're not sure about that last leg, but we've seen a lot of the other three. We've seen that we've seen the connection there. That's what's so
1: exciting. Yeah, I agree. Well said. Well look, I I think the best way to leave this is just by saying that you have to take the positives from that game and and I'm happy to do it because it's a season where we deserve to take some positives where they are. And the positive for me is that the greatest player in world football might still be Lionel Messi, but it's pretty clear that his days are numbered as Gabriel Martinelli looks set to take that position. So we'll leave it there. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith. black man, Twitter Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review right now. Ask things about Tim for not being here this week, but he'll be back soon. Scott's analytics pod, Clive's transfer pod, a rewatch all on tap for this week for patrons. And uh, whether you do that or not, we love you obviously for being with us. If it's not for you, if you can't do it, if you don't want to do it, no big deal. Totally understand. If you do do it, do do. <laughs> I said do do. If you do want to do it, uh, obviously, hugely appreciative for that as well either way all in it together as i always say and uh a very very exciting week of football now we got a few days to wait till the next game we play on monday the diabolical monday game no obama yang no louise so we'll uh we'll see how our Teta handles yet another hurdle thrown his way and who knows maybe even a transfer along the way and if that happens we'll pop up with a podcast to discuss it so stay with us there'll be more coming from this podcast uh at a time in the near future but until then we will talk to you after arsenal 10 born with <laughs>